right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, over here on my right-hand side, my right-hand man, Nick Wilson's kicking it in studio. Cody's live here with us. He's bringing all the social media entertainment for your needs. Y'all stay tuned and stick with us. we got a special star-studded cast for you. Coming to us all the way from the great state of Wisconsin, Greg Lessinger with Three Outdoors. Stay tuned. Nick, it seems like it's been so long since we've been back in studio together. <laughs> it's been quite a while, for sure. What's it been, a week? Yeah. At least? Well, we, we had one that didn't come through on Friday, so. Well, we kind of put that one off. It was going to be a late yeah. one anyway, and I'm glad we did. It got you a chance to get out in the woods and get back to turkey hunting like you love. It's been a climb, man. I'm still climbing. You got one opening weekend. It's been kind of a struggle for you ever since, yeah? Well, it's yes, it's 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 not the fact of me getting one. It's now it's my nephew, and man, I've. Had some jakes. I'm about ready to buy one over at Collinsville Flea Market. <laughs> Turn, Turn out and shoot it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Cody, glad to have you back with us. You've been kind of missing in action, in and out, doing all kinds of fun stuff. You've been doing a little turkey hunting yourself. Yeah, I've I've been uh, been hitting it pretty hard, but I've been having the opposite opposite side of the luck from Nick. I've been around a lot of birds and hearing a lot of birds and not been able to close the deal. So that's kind of frustrating, but hey, still fun. Still, Still getting out there it. and getting with it. Well, as I said in the intro there, we've got a special guest with us tonight. I've been waiting on this one to drop for a while. A guy that I've looked up to for a while as far as following him on the social media side of things over on Instagram and Facebook and watching him on Drury Outdoors on the Critical Mass and DOD TV. I'd like to introduce and welcome to the show, Greg Lessinger. Thanks, guys. I've been looking for this ever since we touched base, uh, what has it been, six, eight weeks ago. So looking forward to... Uh, this evening's call yes sir and i, I want to thank you first and foremost for your time getting on here with us and as i told you, you you know earlier when we spoke it's uh it's been something that i've wanted to do for a while and when i reached out to you it was with great interest not so much into the individual hunts like i told you yesterday but the humble approach that you bring to everything that you do on a constant basis is something that i think a lot of people out there will take heed from and they'll get a lot out of and i hope they can take something from this after hearing you speak tonight I'll do my best. You know, we all, we all start from a humble beginning and, and I'm just your, your average guy who, who got a little lucky. And, um, you know, uh, we have a, a wife put a, a saying in our kids' hallway and it says, be so good. They can't ignore you when things will open. And, and that's a, a philosophy. We, we talk about at work and we definitely live by within our own little, our family. And, and it's been, it's been very true. It's a hard, hard statement not to argue. You know, if you have passion for something, um, it doesn't become work. And when it's not work, it seems like the passion will make you better than we ever thought you could be. Now for you, and that's, that's nope. pretty much driven me my whole life. Yeah. And for everybody out there that doesn't know, how many years have you been with jury? Well, unofficially, officially nine or 10 unofficially, 12 or 13 i'm losing track of time um and why there's such a difference in those dates is back when when mark came to me um he approached me for two or three years and i turned him down which people laugh when they hear this story but it's true and the reason why i turned him down is because i was so passionate about bow hunting that 
you know, as you bring a camera guy into the mix, it's double the scent, double the sound, double the movement. And I was so passionate chasing whitetails that I didn't want to bring that extra element into the woods every single time to, you know, change the outcome. Um, and so one year he, he just finally, I guess, I don't know, he just forced me more. Or I just gave up one of the two, I guess. I don't remember. It's been so long ago, but, um, it, it, he sent a camera guy up and, uh, you know, after that first evening, that first day of hunting with a camera guy, it completely changed my whole approach of it didn't, it was no longer an I thing. It was a we thing. And, that's what fell in love for me for filming was because now you've got two guys that are just as passionate about having a positive outcome than one. You get to share stories and, you know, um, try to come out with a better game plan when there's two of you versus one of you. And I was very athletic in, in high school and had some incredible high school career. And I always loved the team aspect of, of anything. I've coached a long time as well through Derek's most of his youth and through his teenage years. And I missed that. And when I found that with filming in the outdoors, it kind of really brought back that competitive and the we versus the I whole approach. And that's what's really sold me in filming ever since. It's not the whole TV. Yeah, it's neat. It's cool. It's fun. It's all of that. Yeah but it is a lot more work than what people realize and understand and what the TV shows, but it's the relationships of what I've built with all the camera guys over the years being 20 feet in the tree. They're some of my best relationships even today, even though they're not filming with me today, but they still call them. We still talk um, because, you know, when you're 20 feet in a tree, you get to know somebody pretty darn quick when the cell phones are down and you're just you and him and, and mother nature. It's amazing how, the barriers of personality just seem to fade away and the, the bonds seem to just come together really quick. And your cameraman now, I, I heard you on, on another podcast talking with, mm -hmm. uh, is Casey Morgan, correct? That's correct. It seems to be a very cohesive relationship that you and Casey have developed over the last two years, I believe y'all been filming together. Uh, six. Six, wow. Can you believe how fast it's gone? Yeah, I know. We were just talking about that. Six years. And he's, um, he's been with you through, uh, through what we'll get into in a little bit of probably, uh, two of the, the highest, probably pinnacle points of your whitetail hunting career, correct? That's correct. Without a shadow of a doubt. That's yep. awesome. And I can't wait for you to tell about that a little bit, but before we get that far ahead, I want you to take me back to that first few conversations and how you got to knowing Mark and Terry and everyone. And what was it like when you first, you know, were approached by them? Was it, kind of a starstruck situation or did you just look at them like anybody else that, you know, and kind of approached it with, you know, just meeting one of the guys? You know, I was, yeah, of course, you know, when you, when you read about somebody or see them on TV, it's, it's, it's definitely different when you meet them for the first time. But, you know, I got to give Mark and Terry a, a tremendous amount of credit and my hat goes off to the entire organization because they're very humble. They're very down to earth. They're very approachable. And they're very passionate about the sport we all are passionate about. And they want nothing more than the best for the sport and for the people that are involved. Um, but to go back to answer your question, I, I, I had a good friend of mine named Brian Thompson who lived local, not far from me, who was a jury team member at the time when him and I had met and um, built a relationship. And, and it just through years of conversation, um, 
uh, I always told Brian that I, you know, would love to, to get to Iowa and, and, you know, hunt down there and so on and so forth. And, um, one, it was Christmas Eve, probably 14 or 15 years ago. I got a call and, uh, I answered the phone and he says, Hey Greg, how you doing? And you know, it's, it's one of those things that you recognize a voice, but <laughs> I was like, why is he calling me? And I go, is this Mark? And he goes, it is. And I didn't know why he was calling me, but you recognize the voice, you know, cause you hear it so much on TV. Oh yeah. So it was just, it was like, it set me back it, like everything was in slow motion. And I said, well, how you doing? And he says, good. I said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, well, unfortunately I said, I've got a whole house full of my relatives and my parents. I said, can we talk some other time? He said, yeah, call me back, you know, a couple, three days. So long story short, that came and went. And then we touched base a few days later and, uh, he invited me down to his house, uh, in Grand River, Iowa at the time. And I pulled in, uh, must've been like, I don't know, six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. And we did not go to bed until I think it was 4.30 a.m. <laughs> you get no man up all night. I did. And all we talked about was whitetails and family and and passions and our visions on the outdoors and just a whole lot of things. And I went to bed that night, and I, I was like, man, if that wasn't the ultimate interview, I don't know what was. And what he was doing is he was feeling me out. He was trying to see what I fit into his, his culture, what I fit into the DOD lifestyle. Would, would he be comfortable me representing the brands that they represent? And so we, you know, kind of started off a relationship and one thing led to another. And, you know, when you start tipping over big deer, that following that fall, I, I tipped over 163. That was back in the DVD days. I tipped over 163 and seven eighths, I believe, is what he, he ended up taping out. And back in that that year, um, it would have been the biggest deer that would have been on the on the on the Jury Outdoors DVDs if I was a team member. I was not. Oh man! And um, that's when everything really kind of started to pick up pace. And that's when he called again that fall and said, Hey, we've got to have you on the team. And I said, no. Um, and I said, no, for a couple, couple, three years. And finally I gave in and, you know, that's what, 12 or 13 years later. So to, to tell you the full story, they put me on a kind of like a, a trial period, lack of a better description. Uh, when you become a, a new team member, you're really not a team member. They kind of put you on a trial period for at least a year, if not two, to see how you're going to do, how you come across on camera, how you represent the brands and, you know, don't say anything foolish to the public and all those things. And, um, after a couple of years of doing the right thing, then they brought me on full time. I've been on full time ever since. So for those of you who don't know, all the team members, uh, we're on, we're only on a one year contract. Um, and that's just the way it is. That's, that's the way they want it. And we have to prove ourselves every single year. And that's why, you know, you see some people come and go. Um, you see new faces now and again, and you see some older guys fade away or, 
you see a, a gentleman that's been there forever and also he's not there anymore. It's, you know, we're only as good as our last year. I mean, they're very fair about it and reasonable. Um, obviously, hunting is not a guaranteed thing. But, you know, there there is some added pressure and requirements and so forth of what we have to do and how we have to do it. And, you know, DOD, in my opinion, um, is one of the best in the industry. Um, and they have a lot of high regards to how to keep their brand the way it's been. And, and I respect it. And you don't stay on top of the game that we're in without having, you know, really high requirements and expectations. And yeah. they hold all 40, I don't know, what is it? 42 of us. I might be wrong, but I'm close to those expectations. No different than they hold themselves and they restack and, and refocus us every single year. And so it's, it's relatively competitive within the team. I wouldn't say that word, but it's competitive within ourselves because we've got to really produce ourselves to, you know, hold our weight and be welcome back the following year. And so we're, I'm lucky enough to be part of a group that I don't really think anybody puts anybody down, not in front of myself. Uh, we're all very supportive, but, you know, I, I don't really try to compete with anybody on the team other than myself or what I did last year and how I can better my skills or my tactics or whatever I can do to, you know, stay on the game and, and keep delivering what we've been delivering for the past seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, and I think you can you can really see the, the team mentality, especially with a, a show like uh, Critical Mass when, when everybody's getting on. And it, towards the end of it, you really see everybody come together and start supporting each other. And the little commentary after each hunt that airs on there, it kind of gives you a feel that, man, uh, whether it's Steve France uh, or yourself mm-hmm. or any of the others that are on there and continuing to to promote each other, y'all y'all lift each other up. Oh man, you'll get him next time, or you know well, that's an awesome hunt. It's great to see you getting out there and succeeding at it. Doesn't matter who wins that show; it's always uh, at the end of it. it's pretty pretty special to see you guys come together like that. Yeah, you know we're we're fighting so many things outside of our own organization. You know us hunters, you know in general. We've got, you know, a very unique um, staff at the White House now that are kind of. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that, unique. (laughs) You know, um, that are very, I guess, anti-hunting and anti-whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't fit our lifestyle very well. And, you know, the last thing we need to do is part the Red Sea between ourselves. And that's. One reason why I've been doing all the podcasts that I have is is to communicate what I can and support others in this industry the best that we can. Because if we can't support each other, then what's the point of doing this? Yep, absolutely. Greg, I'm going to steal a question from Alex that he typically asks, but let's back up to the beginning of when you first started okay. hunt, when you first started hunting. Who got you into it? Well, if if you look back um, to the very first show of Critical Mass season one. Um, the story is told very well and very emotionally because that during that taping, uh, literally, uh, it was two days. It was two days or yeah, it was two days before I had to be in St. Louis. Um, I lost my uncle and my uncle was my inspiration to the outdoors. And he was the reasons why I'm, I'm here to do what I'm doing today. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. He was my dad's brother. My dad was a little bit of an outdoorsman growing up as a young child, but 
they, they grew up in Spalding, Nebraska, which is northwest of Omaha in the middle of nowhere, population just over 500 people. Um, and they, they hunted for, for food. They didn't hunt for sports. They hunted for a purpose. And when he got older, he was just burned out of it. He, he didn't understand how hunting and a sport could correlate in the same sentence. That was my father. And so I fell in love with it and we did a little bit of it and I got so obsessed with it. My, his brother, who was, uh, uh, Jerry, uh, he had three sons and they were just as obsessed with it as well. And they had bird dogs. Um, and we went pheasant hunting and quail hunting as much as we could. And those guys really put me under their wing because they were all older than myself. And shoot, we would chase the birds and, you know, rabbits. We, we did whatever we could every weekend. And, uh, to the point that we had, a so many generations, we're a third generation pheasant on every Thanksgiving all the way up to, oh, probably five, well, it's probably been longer than that, probably seven or eight years ago. Um, we finally had to dismantle it just because of everybody got dispersed throughout the country. But for well over 30, 35 years, we would, we would have an annual pheasant hunt with three generations of Glessingers that were show up and we would walk the ditches. Um, and so that's where I started was really in Nebraska chasing pheasants and quail. And then, uh, went on to college at Northwest Missouri state and, Ran some guys there that we ended up getting into really heavy in the waterfowl real big and got into that heavy. And then um, I really didn't chase whitetails until I met my 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 wife that uh, was girlfriend at the time, um, brother, her brother, um, in, nor- in northern Minnesota, a small town called Akeley, Minnesota, um, just north of Minneapolis, call it two and a half, three hours. Uh, for those of you who don't know where that is, it'd be by Walker or Leech Lake. That would be a, uh, a landmark most people would know. Um, and I met him for the very first time up there. Um, I was probably 26 or 27 at the time. And he was drawn back uh, his bow, Fredbear bow that he had just got, literally just got days before. And he was back there sighting it in and he looked at me and he's about the same height as I was and same arm length. He goes, Hey, you want to shoot a bow? And I go, man, I said, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and he goes, really? I go, no. I said, I'm a, I'm a shotgun guy. I'm a pheasant guy. I'm a goose guy. I said, I don't know anything about bows and arrows. He goes, this is what you do. And I let the first arrow go. And my girlfriend slash fiance slash now wife was standing right there. And I, shot it once and she looked at me she goes god's sake you don't need another hobby <laughs> and it was over and, from there <laughs> and it was over from there and i've never looked back since so you're only as good as what you're introduced and if john john's his name if john would never let me shoot his bow i don't know where i'd be today you know because up here in wisconsin pheasant hunting and quail hunting i call it a nature walk they're just not you know that kind of birds up here there just isn't around um and so when I got underneath the bow hunting, I quickly, I shot, I shot his bow. I don't know how many times that weekend I was obsessed and I kind of came home and, and found the local archery guy. And I just basically lived there and just gobbled off as much information as I could and just started chipping away at how to be better. Now going into 2021 uh, season, 
you you guys had a, a change in in bows over at uh, Jury, didn't you? What what bow are you gonna be shooting this year? I just got the brand new B um, three. Just got just got it uh, a couple days ago, so I'm gonna just about ready to start gearing it all up and tuning it and getting it all tied with the the arrows and get the setup ready to go. So that usually takes me oh six to eight weeks probably because I get pretty detailed around the whole setup from right down the wane of a vein. I mean, I get really, really particular on my setups. Yeah. I remember you telling me that yesterday that you, you'd weigh every inch of it. Cause, and when you explained that to me, I had never really thought about it the way you did with, if you miss by an inch, that extra four or five grains for changing to a, let's say to a lot of knock that's 12 or 13 grains. It, that mm-hmm. that could be that inch that you missed that you didn't account for and the detail that you put into that, especially when you're hunting a world class whitetail like you like you've been hunting the last few years. That that make you lose a little bit of sleep at night. Yeah, you know, it's it's I'm getting better every year. When Casey came on board, you know, six years ago, he would see me in my shop on a workbench, just, you know, weighing everything and trying to do the math and and he looked at me and goes, you're nuts. <laughs> and, and now he wouldn't have it any other way. I bet he, he's, I bet he, he's watching that camera equipment though quickly, you know, and going through it like you do your bow. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. But he, he now has changed how, how detailed we are and everything that we do. Um, you know, you, you, you can't control what an animal does. You know, you can't control what a wild animal is going to do. But w- what we try to control is everything we can control, which is our gear and our setups. And as much as we can, we're going to dissect it to really to the gram. And if I have to try to gain 10 or 12 or 13 feet per second, I'm going to, I'll spend, I'll spend a month trying to figure out how I'm going I'm to do that. And um, so that when the moment of truth comes, you know, I know that we've done everything possible to put ourselves in the right position to execute to the, to the 10 ring if possible. And if, and if we don't, we don't, but I, but I know when I leave or jump in the truck that I've done all the preparation possible. And if it didn't pan out, it didn't pan out, but it's hard for me to go to bed at night knowing that I could have done a, B, C or D and I didn't. So those things will be taken care of before we even think about going into the woods. And it's our summer is really about down in our bow setups and really getting them and shooting a lot and feeling confident and just, you know, constantly repeat the process. So when the moment of truth happens, um, you, you fall back on, on what you've done all summer long, which is just memory, muscle, and routine. That I, there was a coach at, um, college coach that told me a long time ago, he goes, if you practice enough, and you do it well, and you practice right, when you're under pressure, your mind's going to take you back to what's comfortable. And that's your practice routine. And I think that's one thing that us as bow hunters, I think, could could maybe you know, get better at, is the more you practice, truly practice, in a, in a very serious way, when, you know, I don't care if it's 150 inch or 110 inch, if it's your biggest deer of your life, it doesn't matter but your mind goes places you never thought it was possible because that, that white tail or elk or mule deer will dominate your mind space. And when it dominates your mind space, you don't execute the way you think you should. But if you practice enough and you put the time and energy in, 
and you and you routinely do that, when your mind goes to another place, your muscle is going to react to what it's normally going to do, which should put you in a position to execute. Should. And I think that's what we really try to do every single summer so that when that moment of truth happens, um, you know, it, it goes our way. And so far, we've been lucky enough to do that. When did it go off in your mind that you should start weighing those arrows? And because I'm sure you didn't always do that when you first started bow hunting, correct? No, was I there, didn't. Was there something it, that changed that? What, what, what sparked that to do that? Um, you know, uh, it sparked it when, when I was, uh, when I first met Pete Shepley and, and I'm shooting at the hip, so just go with me. I'm going to yeah. say 13 or 14 years ago, it might've been 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. I was, I was a Matthews guy to the core, obviously being in Wisconsin, Matthews dominates this state without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, there's more Matthews stickers and back of lifted trucks up here than you can shake a stick at. Um, and I met Pete Shepley in camp and we spent four days in camp together on a whitetail hunt, just dumb luck. And, um, this was before I was with, with DOD. So I was not with DOD at the time. And he made me a PSC pro shooter by the time I left. He couldn't believe what I was doing and how I was doing it. And he said, man, I got to have you. So he put me on the pro shooting staff and that's when I switched from Matthews to PSC. And back then, PSC was leading the industry, you know, by 12, 15, 17 feet per second on their, their pro series bows. And when I figured that out, I was shooting one pin out to 30 yards. And that was the first time for me. Um, and then I started messing with arrow grain and, and, and lighting up my arrow and, and that whole thing. And um, it was really about, 25 or 26 and then i pushed it out to 30 yards on 110 and i'm like man this is this is amazing and everybody's like why are you so passionate about one pin out to 30 and i said well if you think about it i said if you're in any type of timber situation any type of woods are you really going to shoot 30 yards in thick cover or thick timber i don't think i've ever had the opportunity to do so maybe you guys have maybe you have you know, clearer woods and it's, not here in Georgia. You ain't no way. Yeah. Neither, neither of any woods I've ever hunted in any state. I've never been able to shoot 30 yards in the timber. Um, and I said, okay, so that's one more thing I don't have to think about. It's one more thing. I don't have to, to move or get a range finder to range something. If I can get it out to 30 yards and I range it and I do my circle, I'm going to know, okay, anything within 30 yards here, it's draw and go. I put the pin and I go. And so that's when I got to that mindset and got very passionate about weighing every single arrow and getting arrow speeds up to what I have found with my draw weight or draw length, which is 29 and a half. And I usually pull between 70 and 72 to 73 pounds, depending on the setup and the bow. I know if I can get my arrow plus or minus 310 feet per second, it's going to generate one pin up to 30 plus or minus an inch, meaning that. If I'm dead on at 30, uh, if I go up and I shoot at 20, it's going to be, you know, about an inch to an inch and a quarter difference, which I can live with at that close. Um, and so that's, that's what started it all. And ever since then, I've, I've taken that mindset and try to eliminate as much as I can mentally when I'm in the set 
I want to minimize as much as thinking as I have to do, which then incurs less movement. Um, and that's when it all started. And when we switched from PSC to Matthews last fall, uh, I spent a lot of time last summer trying to get my arrows to where they could be to get to that 310 so I could execute those shots. And prime example, we hit one, I hit one at 40 this year, put them in the heart, and Casey hit one at 42 or 43, and he killed a two. And the reason why is because that arrow's still flat. And as we all know, whitetails truly jump the string more than any other animal that I've ever hunted. And they, they're so dang fast that, and, and I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers with some listeners of yours, but, um, and this is purely my opinion and my opinion is based on my experiences. That's, it's not right or wrong. It's just what I've learned. Um, I'd rather have a faster arrow with less kinetic energy than a heavier arrow with more kinetic energy. And you're going to say, well, why is that, Craig? Well, if you have a heavier arrow with less kinetic energy or, or with more kinetic energy, that it's going to have a bigger arc. And as you have a bigger arc, when they get out farther, there's going to be more opportunity for that arrow not to hit your mark that you intend to hit. And if it's faster and flatter, you're probably more apt to hit the spot you're going to have and more apt if you're going to miss, you're going to miss less. And with the gear we have now and the thin diameters like the VAP uh, arrows that I shoot from Victory, you're more that the penetration on whitetails is just ridiculous anyway. So to give up, you know, 30, 40, 50 grains on an arrow weight to get to that 310, I'll do it all day long. And I know some guys will call in or send you guys email and say, this guy's crazy. But now we know, block those I've, guys. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a track record that showed that we just don't, and I'm, we just don't miss our targets very, very seldom. We just don't. Um, and I think a lot of it is because of the detail that we put up um, in preseason to dial in our complete setup. I mean, I, I will measure every single insert. I will measure every single vein. Uh, I've got it down to a science. I mean, I've got scratches of paper that I just drive a common guy crazy. Um, I'll but tell you what will drive the moment you. of truth, it's, it, it pays off though. If you go back to the, uh, to the 12, 13 years ago, when you were shooting those PSC speed bows, how, how harsh was those draw cycles? Cause I had an omen back in the day and, uh, whoo, that yeah, was omens, omens. I, I was not a fan of the omen, but to be honest, it was too much of a hard draw cycle <laughs> back in the omen. So that would have been the oh, X force. Yeah. Would have been the same 10, 11 around in there. Yes. Yep, that would have been the X Force, and that was the bow I was shooting at the time. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the draw cycle. The omen that was too much for me. Uh, it killed me, and, and 150 pounds and uh, 30 and a half inch draw length. Uh, it, it just about killed me to pull that 70 pound bow back with, uh, with a five it. and a half inch draw or brace height on it. And but and that's what's changed with the bows today. You're talking about the V3, and Cody's actually got yeah. one, and it's uh, it, yeah. it's been an amazing bow for him. He's shooting it yeah. as good as any bow he's had. It's amazing the draw cycle and the speeds you can get out of a, a six and a half or six and three quarter brace height on a bow compared mm-hmm. to what it was back then. Hundred percent. Yeah, the, the the bow technology from today versus fifteen years ago is is really quite remarkable, and that's what you know this technology that, regardless of brand and everybody has their preference, but they all make us all better. And I just try to take the 
you know, the arrow weights to the 10th degree to make it even more, uh, more accurate and more flatter. And, uh, you know, if some of these listeners take me up on this challenge, I, I guarantee you they'll be happier if they really want to put the time in to do it. It's amazing how flat an arrow can really be if you really dissect every grain. Now, going to that lower weight arrow as far as kinetic energy goes, are, are you driving a fixed blade or are you going with a mechanical? Uh, on on whitetails, I, I don't – there's the Rage, in my opinion. The Rage Tripans have been my favorite head since, since it ever came out. Uh, I just love that head. It's never failed me. It's never – it always delivers red carpet treatment on every animal we've ever had, so I have no reason to change. But, you know, whitetails are very thin – thin-scaled animals. The only time I get out of the Rage Tripan head is when I go to Alaska and then I, I go to a fixed head purely because of all the outfitters that I've ever been to Alaska with would not accept me to shoot an expandable because of some past experiences. Yeah, um, I could see that. So, yeah. So when we're chasing dangerous game, uh, they don't, they won't let me shoot a expandable and I don't have enough knowledge to argue them because I haven't into Alaska a lot, so I can't sit there and argue with these guys. Well, I'll I'll say that you're you're going to be extremely pleased with the V3. I've been a Matthews guy for a while, and I picked mine up in December, and it's um yeah, it's dead in the hand. It's it's a good shooting bow. I'm shooting heavier errors, so I'm shooting just under 300, but um a lot of kinetic energy. But it's a good shooting bow. You'll love it. That's what I hear. That's what everybody says. Did you get the you, thir- you got the thirty one? Did you get the thirty one? I did. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Greg Greg, when you when talking about shooting those bows in the setup, talking about broadheads, do you prefer to shoot your broadheads when you're practicing or just the field points? You know, with the expandables, I've never really noticed any difference in the flight um and the end target of, you know, where they land versus field points. I've never noticed that I've, I've done the rage practice points versus field points and I, they all shoot the same to me. So to try to save on, you know, chewing up targets for money, I, I just leave field points in and, and go with it. And now, they will too. Now, what if you, what if you plan your trip to Alaska and you're using a fixed blade now, will you shoot it? hundred percent. Yeah. I'll just take usually two or three and I'll take a magic marker to them. And so that I, they can see that I'm using those as practice. So I know that, you know, they don't get in a box or something for me to use because they're obviously going to dull them up some, um, and just mark them up with a Sharpie and I'll shoot those three and dedicate those three to just target practice. And Greg, we've talked in, you know, this whole 30 minutes so far about the, the trials and tribulations of setup. I want you to tell everybody out here that doesn't know what's the largest whitetail you've ever been able to harvest. Uh, we were lucky enough to harvest in 2018 um, uh, white tail that went 239 and change. <laughs> that's just that's just every time I hear you say that it just blows my mind. Now, take me into where that deer was uh where it was staying at, and did you have? Yeah, I'm sure you had much prior knowledge of that deer. Was it a deer you'd watched mm-hmm. for a couple of years, or was it something you know that kind of came on the scene all at once, or? I just want to know about that, man. I know you've told that story a thousand times over, but for for everybody listening, I want to I want to be able to hear it from you. Sure. Well, we were to it, it got it. We got to go back to 2017 because in 2017 and 16, we were chasing a deer called Major League, um, and he was the largest deer that I had ever seen on the hoof at the time. And uh, we didn't get him in 16, but we ended up tipping him over in 17, and he went 203. 
And the reason why I tell you that story is because my focus was so much on him. Um, I wasn't paying attention to extra innings at all in 2017. Now he would have went, we found his shed the spring of 18 and he would have went some around uh, mid eighties ish. I don't think he would have went nineties. Um, we got both sides of them, and I'm like, man, I, I knew he was good. I didn't realize he was that good. And then come July, when the trail picks started coming in, I was like, you got to be kidding me. He Six, blew up. What, 50, 60, or 40, 50 inches? In yep. a, oh, my God. Yep. yep, he absolutely just blew up. Now, what's interesting about that is after we harvested him, um, he had a curl on his front uh, left hoof. And the biologists believe that that took him out of his rut um, in 2017. And so he went into the winter 17 very healthy and not run down is what the biologists are telling me. And so when he came out of the spring, he didn't have to put on the body weight that everybody else did and put all the energy into his rack is what they think. That's interesting. Um, it is interesting. So do I know that for certain? No, but it's a, it, it makes a lot of sense, and it seems to be very logical. So Now, both um, those were in uh, in Wyoming? Oh, excuse me, Wyoming, Wisconsin? Uh, no, they were both Iowa. Oh, okay. Both Iowa. Yep. And so then um, we were getting pictures of him in July, and he was the most daylighted deer I've ever had pictures of ever in my entire life. Um, his core area had shrunk to call it 80, 60 acres. And he was daylighting a couple plots. And um, I was all I could do not to go in there very early, but we just never really had the right winds and the right pressures and all that stuff. And when we finally did, uh, the first northwest wind that we had, um, it was opening day of, uh, Missouri youth season, and that's been my son and I's trip ever since he was little. And Casey looked at me and he goes, my God, he goes, it, we, you know where we should be? And I said, I know. Um, <laughs> but I said, we, we got to go get Derek deer. And so, you know, we did. And uh, it was three or four days after that, we had just the perfect day. And sometimes patience is your best friend. And we waited till that next northwest wind, which the temperature were even colder and the cold front had come in. And when we left the truck, we shut the door on the truck. I looked at Casey and I said, you know, what we're about to do is the biggest deer we'll ever see in our lives. And I said, I don't want to talk from here to the truck until we get in there. And we knew where we had to go and the path we had to get there. And we walked like we were on thin ice because we knew he wasn't bedded far because he wasn't roaming much. Was that the one you um, went up the creek to get to? No, that was just past fall. Oh, okay, that was okay. Just fall. Yep. And so we got in there and settled in, and he actually came out chasing a doe at like 3.45 p.m. And I was like, we had like, I don't want to call it like 10 or 12 seconds of footage, maybe, of that. It wasn't very much. Just enough for me to get my binocs on him go. I had no idea. It's one thing to get a trail picture of a big deer. It's one thing to see him on the hoof. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Two hundred, almost two hundred forty inches, looking at you through a set of binos. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh my gosh, you know. And and then 
then the mind game starts coming through because he's so much bigger than you ever anticipated. And then he, uh, he, the doe took him into a, a, a timber stand improvement section of part of the farm we had just done. So I'm like, okay, he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to stay here. This is the nearest food plot. He's got to come out at some point. He's going to follow her out. And every single doe that came out, I'm like, is he, you know, which one's next? Which one's next? Which one's next? And then finally one came out and she kept looking behind him. And I go, she's coming. It's got to be him. And sure enough, he, when he parted the warm season grasses and he broke that warm season grasses line of the food plot, I, it was like a movie out of a scene of no art part in the Red Sea. I was like, everybody in the plot, every whitetail knew he was the man. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in Mother Nature. When he hit that plot, everybody looked up and everybody kind of backed up and gave him his face. It was a dominance I've never seen before. And it wasn't by his attitude at all. He didn't go around pushing anybody. And he uh, let the doe do her thing and started eating. And he went hit a scrape that was like 47, 46 away. And he was quartering away. And I was like, do I do it? Do I do it? And I was just talking to myself. And I was like, God dang, this is a world-class animal. And then just as I was uh, putting my release on my D-loop, that doe that he was chasing um, walked through our bottleneck that we had designed in our food plot. And I'm like, he's going to quit scraping. He's going to see her go through that bottleneck, and he's going to follow. And so I relaxed, and she went through, and she stopped halfway through the bottleneck. For whatever reason, I don't know. And he quit the scrape, looked around the plot, didn't see her, and made a quick jog through the bottleneck. As he turned the corner, there she was. And he stopped, and the rest is history. Did you know at that time that deer was going to go anywhere near as big as it, it no. ended up scoring? <laughs> no. Me and Casey kept saying, you know, 215, 225, you know, something like that. But you can't, you can't measure mass on a trail pick. Right. And the other thing is he had 27 scorable points, which you don't see those on a trail pick either. Cause a lot of them are one or two or three inches. Um, you just don't see all that stuff. Um, until you laid them down. It was, a, it's a white cell that every time I walk by him, I look at him. I see something that I didn't realize he, he, he had. It's just nuts. Truly mm -hmm. nuts. When you let that arrow fly, what do you think your heart rate was at? About 160? <laughs> you know, um, when I drew back, it, uh, Casey told me that night, he goes, you were on full draw. That I think he said it felt like it was forever. Uh, because I, I was so jacked up that I was like, I've got to put this pin where it's got to be. And I just let it settle and let it settle and let it settle. And when I felt like it was good, I just let it go. And I couldn't have walked up and touched that deer any better. I think it was 31 yards away, I think. Um, it was just perfect. I mean, dead solid perfect. And I have never been more, I mean, I fell to my knees in the blind. And the adrenaline came over me like I, I can't describe. I just can't describe it. You're not a guy that's uh that's taken away from your words very often, and I I saw that one, and it was <laughs> you were you were speechless. I was speechless. I didn't I didn't I, I didn't you know 
I couldn't believe it happened. And that was the first time we, that was the first time we went after him. So, you know, that was the other part that we waited for the having patience and wait for everything to align the best you can. And we, and we pulled it off and, you know, when the cameras get shut off, you know, all the work and preparation and thought process and second guessing yourself and all that stuff goes away. And, you know, it's a pretty special moment between myself and Casey because he's just as much, you know, invested in this as I am, if not more. Yeah, you never say, I've never once heard you when you've taken an animal say, I got him. I got him, Casey. I got him. It's always, we got him, Casey. We got him. Or whoever you're with, it's always been that we moment. Well, and I think that's the part that, that is so hard to describe from the filming at the level we're trying to do it at, which is, you know, it takes two of us to execute, even though I'm on and Casey doesn't have them. We're so dedicated to bringing uh, the outdoor stuff to DOD and to the, to the fans and to the public of the outdoor channel that we just won't cut the arrow loose. We just won't. And when it comes together like that, it really is a we thing. It's not an I thing. I mean, if you look at the footage that Casey laid down, it tells the story. I'm just happened to be the lucky guy who releases the arrow, but he gets to tell the story through the eyes of the lens, which you guys get to see. And he did a, a, a 10 out of 10. Matter of fact, when we got, uh, we tipped him over and um, got him in the truck. And here's a great story that I should have told earlier. We're on our way to, to the set. And, uh, Mark sent me a text. He said, Hey, there's a bunch of us in camp. We would love to have you meet us for dinner. And I said, well, that would be my plan B. And he said, what's your plan A? And I said, I'm tipping over extra innings tonight. And he said, I love your plan A. <laughs> and that's God's honest truth. And so we got to the truck. I text Mark. He said, you come to dinner. And I said, I'm dealing with plan A. And he goes, and he, and he texts back said, hell yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, you need to get your butt to Mexican as fast as you can. So we'd load them in the truck and we measured them in the, in the parking lot of the restaurant. And, um, I didn't realize, you know, much about it until Mark said, and Mark and Terry pulled me aside and let, it was Wade, Casey, uh, who else was it? Uh, Will, which is Wade's brother. There was three or four guys helped taping it. And they taped it three times because they're like, there's no way this is real. And so they did it again and again and again. And I was like, what's wrong? And they're like, I, Craig, you're, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to do this again. And they wouldn't tell me the number. And, and you're like, they come on, get, man. Pump yeah, your brakes. They, give me, give me yeah, it. Yeah. So they wanted to get it all on film and, when they told me the number, I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, and it's not about the number. It, it's, it's about the camaraderie and, and the work that goes into it. And yeah, it's a big year. Of course, I'm not going to take that away from him at all because he's a very special animal, but it's about setting a goal and going, you know what, this is our season and this is the only deer we're going to chase and achieving that. And that's, what's really cool about it. Um, and Mark put it in perspective that night because you realize you just killed the largest deer in, in DOD history of, you know, 30 years. And oh, by the way, I'm 90% certain you just tipped over the largest white cell ever harvested in outdoor, outdoor professional history. 
And <laughs> that is that, like, that's got to be a surreal moment in itself. Be cold it chills. I, I yeah, it did. I, 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 I can see them on your arm, Nick. <laughs> you got yeah. cold chills all the way up. Yeah, Man. it was. It was. I looked at Casey and we just smiled. I'm like, I, I don't. I find it hard to believe. It was Greg. I'm, I'm nine percent certain there's nobody who's put a white tail down, gun or bow, bigger than this in Outdoor Channel or Sportsman's Channel history because I'm certain of it. That's produced it, right? I'm sure there are bigger deer that have fallen, but not with a camera in a professional category That's because good. of what we have to do. And uh, it was, we were very moment. blessed. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, it, it was. And to go from, you know, to be able to go from the woods directly to, and not taking anything away from what Greg Glessinger's done, but to go to two icons of the industry like Terry and Mark Drury and have them there in that moment where you take to that, that, that you can't write a storybook any better than that. I mean, sitting around the back of the truck, and Mark throw his arm around you or something. Yeah, exactly. And say that. Yeah. <laughs> I unreal. Just, that is unreal. How big was this piece of timber that you guys had leased? Um, you know, he was living on, um, you know, uh, a four or 500 acre section, but he, he really didn't leave based on our knowledge, right? Which is the only thing I can share. I, I truly believe he wasn't leaving a 60 or 80 or eight, 80 acre section. So no, I don't think he was. No, no, so let's, put it this way. let's put it this way. When we found his first picture in July and he was obviously blown up, I, we pulled cameras from other farms because we didn't have the resources and we put every single camera around him. We flanked him. And we only got them on one. Wow. So none of the neighbors had any idea that this buck lived there. If they do, they've never, they've never told me. Well, that's probably good for you then. Cause that was going to be my yeah. next question. What kind of heat have you caught from a deer like that? Yeah. And then that's an interesting point, Nick. I mean, what we've heard prior from others, yeah. was there any kind of flack that you got from it, from anybody else doubting that you'd, you know, the, the legality of it. And I, and I asked that because of what Don Higgins sure. told us about his deer and taking it sure. and what he can't went into with it. Sure. Uh, no, uh, because you know, when people ask, I'm like, guys, it's all on, on video. Yeah. You know, you're, I, I got nothing to hide. You know, if, if, if somebody was to press me on it, I would, I would take them to the spot and let them look as much as they want. I mean, it was, it was done above the law and the right way. And there was nothing, uh, you know, it was a hundred percent legal and we have, you know, five, five camera angles to, to justify that statement. Yeah. And we get, um, you know, when you and I talked about the negativity that social media and everything brings and harvest, harvesting an animal like that 20 years ago, you'd have saw pictures of it in North American whitetail. You might've saw an email mm -hmm. get sent to you, buddy, or whatever forwarded mm -hmm. along. There would have been no cell phone pictures or whatever it may have been that this right. happened. And when it hit the web, did you, how many phone calls or how, how burned up was your phone when it actually got out there? I didn't sleep that night. Let's put it that I way. I guarantee you, Bob wouldn't yeah. slept for the next week or left the side of it. There was people that I hadn't heard of for a long time that that reached out to me to, to congratulate me. I mean, it was a very, very pleasant, wonderful next week to 10 days. I mean, people that high school people, I mean, it just goes right down the list that, you know, everybody was happy for me. And it was a... It was an amazing experience that I wish everybody would have the opportunity to to chase a, a, a deer of of you know, um, you know many many lifetimes because it's just it's just 
nothing like it. You know, there just isn't. Chasing a deer like that's got to be uh, got to be a pinnacle moment for you. But you know, what's next? I mean, you you've you you've had a storied career as it goes through going to Alaska and your mule deer hunting out west and the whitetails you've been able to kill. What what's next for Greg Glessinger as far as you know? What do you want to do, or where you where you see yourself going this year? You know, I, we've we're just trying to to you know always compete with ourselves and just just be better the next year whether it's better footage whether it's better angles whether it's better storytelling you know obviously animals are all part of that but um it's still about you know having excuse me having fun and enjoying it um that's my number one goal when that doesn't happen i'll hang it up but you know i'll be honest with you um casey and i are really just getting started um and i don't say that to be cocky at all I don't say that to be arrogant. I just say that we, we really understand each other. We think so much alike. Um, I know his moves before he makes it. He knows my moves before I make it. And it's, it's the best ham and egg scenario I've ever been around. And that's why I'm so confident in what we've got coming forward in the next, you know, however long we can keep doing this because as long as Casey's riding shotgun, I don't know what, what we're going to achieve, but we're sure going to have a lot of fun doing it. And um, hopefully we're going to start, you know, tipping over some, some more giants like we're trying. But, you know, it's really tough to do what we're doing. And, and it's sooner or later the streak is, is going to come to an end. I mean, you can't – I can't be realistically – I mean, shoot, we shot a 203 and 17, a 239 and 18, a 194 and a 175 <laughs> in 2019 and uh 233 and 2020 you know i i just it's unrealistic to think that those numbers are going to continue but we're sure going to try i cannot wait to see what <laughs> critical mass shows up with this year are you and, well and we, we just we just got moved we got moved to uh matthews bow madness is a new show obviously because matthew's a, a key sponsor for us now and they they took over the bow madness show and they just moved casey and i over uh, so all of our stuff that we aired the fall of 2020 last fall will air this July on the new show called Matthew's Bow, Min- Bow Madness because Casey and I are very dedicated to the bow. That's what we love to do. It's what our passion is. And Matthew's recognized it and they uh, wanted us to be part of that new show. So that's where they moved us. Good. Done. Moved on up the ladder. The ladder of fame continues to climb. <laughs> Hey Greg, I've talked, I've heard you say a few times about your son Derek. How's uh, how's his hunting going? And, and does well, and did the first deer compare compare the first deer that he killed as a father to that two thirty nine? His first deer that he killed was in Missouri during youth season, and I'm going to say it was probably a hundred and ten inches, maybe hundred and twenty inches. I go back and measure it, but I was running the camera, trying to be a father and trying to be a mentor and all that, and I got all the hunt on video except for the impact shot because I double-punched the record button. And it it is probably the most memorable hunt of my life because I was so frustrated with myself that I double-punched, and I realized it as it was coming over me as I watched the deer fall. And he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, what's wrong? And I said, I think I double-punched. And... He looked at me and goes, I really don't care. <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> go. He goes, let's go get this thing. 
And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, a nine-year-old at the time taught me that, you know what, it's about the memories, it's about the moment, um, and let's go enjoy it together. And that was one of my, it probably will always be my favorite hunt of all time. Yeah. I saw that. So one. You, you had, you had camera panic. I did because, you know, when he was nine, he's not that very, he's not a very big kid to begin with. And I was so, so, so concerned about him executing the shot and making sure that he doesn't get scoped and, you know, being a dad first um, and a film guy second, and I'm running three different camera angles by myself. And I just panicked and hit the record button twice and I missed the impact shot. Yeah, we got everything else. It, it, everything else is laid down, but not the impact. It's seated in your memory, and that's you know that's all that oh, matters. Yeah. And I can hear the passion when you tell that. Tell that. That's hundred percent. That's pretty 100%. cool. Hundred percent. But here, here's the story that very few people know. I was chasing a deer called Captain Hook in Missouri, which is on Jury Outdoors' YouTube channel. Uh, if you look it up, he, Captain Hook was caught in a fight in a ditch with another big deer and later died. Um. But I called him off that deer, and he would have went in the 90s, if not 200, when he was probably 11. And he had him dead to rights at about 85 yards. Dang. And I called him off of it. I said it was too late um, for camera light when he had about five minutes left. (laughs) And and I did that for one reason, which is I didn't want to ruin 11-year-old rest of his life yeah uh, boom man yeah. now that is great you would have and that is awesome that uh, that you were willing and, to do that and i was like you know if i let him shoot because that we were going to an area that i knew we had potential of showing up and i'm like my luck and it was the first time i saw him on the hook and i'm like my luck he's going to show up and sure as enough he showed up <laughs> and i was like to let it i think he was i think he was 11 at the time you know, if I let him shoot a 190, 200 class inch deer, uh, uh, he'll he'll never want to be in the woods again. Yeah, and we still true. talk about that story today. Um, he says I wouldn't have ruined him, but I don't. I don't know, <laughs> and, I, and, and 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 we'll never know. But you know, what makes it so special is the grind, right? If anything is easy and everything comes fast and simple, it doesn't have any value. Absolutely. And when we started tipping over the deer that we have in 17, 18, 19, and 20. Let me tell you, it's been 25 years of hard work to get me there. And I didn't want to just put it up on a tee for an 11-year-old to say, huh, look at this. I didn't think that was right to do. Good on you is that, you know, yeah. is taking something that that's something you just don't hear you anymore. That right. I mean, that's... that's yeah. You say it many times, Alex. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's... <laughs> Golly, I mean, it, everything comes easy, and everybody wants that easy path. And good on you, man, for for taking your, taking your, taking a fatherly moment, and he'll never forget that moment. And I guarantee you, it's going to make him want it even more. You give him everything right out of the gate. I'm sorry, they're going to fail in the long run. I honestly feel like that. Right. We still talk about it now and again. How old is but Derek it, now? He's now eighteen. Oh, he's he's up to bat now on the big boys. Does it now? Does his oh. passion still exude the way it did back then? He he loves he loves bow hunting. He just doesn't have the time to do it as much. But we he he's been very active in athletics. A very gifted uh, baseball player, 
and unfortunately, he just broke his ankle a week ago. Oh, so his senior year is a complete bust. Oh, um, so up until then, I mean, he went to Florida to play baseball as a junior, uh, as a sophomore. And uh, so, you know, he was out of our lives for a while. Um, and we, he missed that fall. Um, and he came down uh, this past fall in 2020 because of COVID and school was online. So he called me up and I was down there. I'm like, yeah, if you want to come down, bring your laptop and let's just hunt in the afternoon. You go to school in the morning. Let's do this. And he had the biggest buck of his life at, oh, 20, 22 yards at full draw for, I don't know, on and off for five or six minutes. And, you know, you, you go through those, those painful times where he didn't know what to do and I'm filming. And when you're filming, you really can't help somebody because you're so focused on the lens and what's in the viewfinder. And he learned a lot of lessons that day and he was very frustrated and disappointed. But I said, Hey, that's a bow hunter, man. I said, this, if this was with a gun, he would have been, it would have been over. He's like, man, this is hard. And so he's, he didn't, he's up for the challenge again this fall. So, uh, he's lucky enough to get a, uh, wonderful, massive scholarship to go to the university of Nebraska, uh, Lincoln and dumb luck. It's only two and a half hours from my little hunting shack. So this fall coming fall, I got a feeling he's going to be hanging out with dad a lot more than years past. So it's all paying off. Yeah, it is. And that's awesome. I'm, I'm congratulations to him. And, and hopefully he gets, uh, he gets back healthy in, in, in quick fashion on that ankle. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes life's tough, but it was a great example that you can't put all your eggs in one basket and academics will, your brain's going to take you a lot farther than your arm and your legs will. So body um, will fail you before you mind will always does. Greg, we Mother have, nature's tough. Greg, we've been beating a, uh, a dead horse the last few episodes with turkey hunting because it's it's been turkey season started down here in March. Sure. I don't I don't know when Wisconsin started, but I did see on your uh, Instagram page you guys been you've been shooting some turkeys, right? Yeah, yeah. Casey's uh, son just took one over this weekend. Youth season was just this past weekend, so we're we're gonna get going uh, with Derek this weekend, and then um, uh, I'll be next week, and Casey will be the following week. So in Wisconsin. Your tag, one, is a lottery system. And then, two, when you do get your time period, it's only good for one week. Oh, wow. Um, so it's really different than most states. Do, um, they, so, do, do they pick your week or do you pick your week? Well, you when you apply, you pick three weeks and a zone. And then you randomly draw based on the, you know how many people apply and all that type of stuff. So um, it's, it's – and I don't understand why they do it. We have so many turkeys around here. I wish they would open up to here's, you know, four or five, six weeks of turkey season. Here's your tag, you know, go do it. But they don't. wonder how hard it is for an out-of-state resident to get one. Um, not bad. They, they wait for the draw to finish, and they get the, everybody gets their tags, and, and then they open up the leftovers open. Uh, but they're all usually gone the first day they open them up. But, yeah, you can – there's a lot of guys that come from out-of-state to do it. And those are all Easterns, correct? Yeah. That's what I thought. Nick's a turkey hunting fool down here. Greg. I, know. I, I don't turkey hunt whatsoever. Well, I meant to, I meant to plug do. that in when I was saying that, but Alex has Alex has had a smile on his face from the whole episode since we got back on deer hunting. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on turkey hunting. He ain't talked two words. So, but, well, uh, if you're that much on turkey, you and Case will get along. He just got back from Hawaii and tipped one over in Hawaii. Well, we were going to have we had a guy lined up that's actually um, coming on later in the in the month that was in Hawaii. Um, Tanner yeah. Burns. Yeah. 
He uh, he mm. killed was it an albino? Albino for his forty ninth. Um, oh wow! He done the U.S. Slam, and that was that that completed it with an albino. Oh wow! Very cool. I'll yep. have to get Casey's number from you. Maybe we can get on to a do a turkey hunting episode with him. Yeah, he's, I like he, to talk. His school. Go ahead. Go, I'd like to talk to somebody like him from the filming side of it, like that. Yeah, see what it's like sitting behind that. Oh, I I guarantee you. Yeah, I heard him. You know, we we both listened to the uh, the working, working class. class yeah. He he's the talker. Yeah. Wait, now nobody's fell asleep here, Greg. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. I got to give him credit. You know, Doug. He had he had a little bit too much uh, adult beverages that night. He just got back from a big steak, and I think he was ready to call it a night. And he got all settled into that sofa in that corner, man. He just saw right at home real quick. Oh, it man. sounded like it sounded like Kurt was talking to somebody outside the thing. He was like, "What's up?" And then, and then all of a sudden, he's like, "Doug." Yeah, he woke him <laughs> up. That was great. But uh, it was funny. It was it was even funnier being there. I uh, felt bad for him because I think I think he felt bad for himself actually. When I saw him the next day, he's like, man, that's on video and that's on the recorder forever. I'm going to be chastised forever. And I said, well, maybe that's a lesson learned. Bro. There you go. Well, uh, I'm going to kick it over to, to to Nick, Greg, for for just a minute. He's got a couple of questions as we wind this thing sure. up that you he bet. always asks. And uh, I'm going to let him let him run the show for, I, for a second. I ask everybody these same two questions, Greg. And and I kind of we kind of always get the same response. But um, – First off, what what's the best piece of advice you could probably give someone that might be coming up in whether it's deer hunting, turkey hunting, outdoors, anything? You mean trying to get in the industry or just having fun, or what's no, I'm just, not just to understand the question. Um, just uh, what's one piece of advice that anybody coming up in the outdoors, like maybe the biggest piece of advice you may have to go for someone not coming up in the industry, just a just norm, in hunting in general, just a normal hunter. You know, I, I I think we don't put enough credit into learning from the people in front of us. What I mean by our our, our elders, um, whoever that may be, if a guy's been there and done that, and he's got the track record, and if you can sit down and talk to him, um, I tell you what, that is that is information that is so valuable that nobody realizes. Everybody everybody in the social media world today is about the I or the me. And you need to put that in the back seat and put it about something else. If you lift somebody else up, in turn, they will lift you. And I don't think we're getting away from that in our, our society. I'll give you a true, I'll give you a story that's going to relate to this comment, which is for probably two, three, four years, Mark would invite me over to his house uh, right when I got to know him and, and we would have dinner throughout you know late october and the first couple of weeks in november when we're going at it pretty hard and once or twice a week you'd invite us you know five six seven guys over and terry would be in camp and so on and so forth and i'd be sitting in the living room eating eating dinner and just listening and mark pulled me aside like three or four years later and he says great he goes you just don't say much and i said i learned a long time ago mark if i'm not the expert in the room i'm there to learn i'm there to to listen. And I don't think I'd be the hunter today. I know for certain I wouldn't be if I wasn't in those rooms listening to Mark and Terry and Jay Gregory and Jared Lurk. And I can go right down the list and there are two cameramen that, you know, that were there, Ryan and Joe Foster and listen to those guys telling stories and mistakes and, and listening to all that stuff. Well, I was, I was an encyclopedia, man. I was making notes in my head and that really 
defined where I am today because of, I guess, going to school on those nights when I sat in Mark's living room. And I think if anybody's going to willing to give you the time to do that, pull up the chair and thank him for it because it's the best lessons anybody can pass. Just nobody wants to do it anymore. That's, good. I, I, that's, a, that's a good answer. And I, and I think that's what we kind of wanted to do with this podcast, you know, is get people on like yourself to share stuff because we do, we do take stuff in. It, whether we may not write it down, like you said, it may be in the back of our mind, but we always sit and listen. And, and I think this, is, this helps us get that word out. 100%. So, Greg, what are you most thankful for? Hmm. Probably family, probably. Yeah. Family and health, probably. Yes, sir. Um, without without health, I'm going through a rough time with my dad. And uh, I think it puts in perspective. Yeah, it definitely does. Makes and when you very don't thankful. Have, it does, yeah. You know, so you can have all the money in the world, but you cannot have the, the fountain of youth. And it's fountain of youth, father, father time, you can't, you can't beat them. You can slow them down, but you can't beat them. And, you know, we're, we're all in this amazing place called earth that, you know, one creator made it all. And if we don't live to our lives, to our potential, shame on us, you know, but try to maximize every single day you have, because there's one day that it won't be there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is, is family and, and health and, and, you know, faith and understanding where that all comes in. And, you know, it should be more about the we and less about the I. And social media is killing that statement, unfortunately. Well, Greg, I really do appreciate it, man. We're all on the same team, man. Every every time we get this 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 answer from somebody, we're, you know, we just find that us in the outdoor world, is, we're all on the same team, man. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for reaching out to Alex. We're going to go around the table and everybody's going to, Say the final words, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for what you do for the industry. Thanks for the knowledge you share with us, man. So um, I can't thank you enough. So. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it, guys. I, you know, anytime you guys want to do this again and hit repeat, let's do it. I mean, I can talk for days. I mean, we've been on for an hour and, I don't know, 15, yeah. 14 minutes, whatever it is, but it, it felt like 15 minutes to me. Yeah, so, that's the way it was with us. Cody, what you, you got, know, man? I just want to. I just want to thank you for you know staying staying humble. You've got every right in the world to to walk around with your chest poked out, and I mean you've your accomplishments speak for themselves. And um, just how grounded you are and how humble you are in the industry, it says a lot, and it it means a lot to these younger hunters that are looking up. So just just keep grinding, and we'll uh, we'll keep tuning in and checking with you. Hey, I appreciate the support. I really appreciate the support more than you realize, and. It's, it's nice to come on avenues like this and, and you know, share as much uh, as, as you guys want. I'm an open book, and, and there's a lot of guys who, who, you know, taught me what I know today, and, and it's, it's about paying it forward and paying it back. So um, if you guys ever want to do this, do this again, I'm, I'll be the first to sign up. Well, I definitely appreciate that, Greg, and I appreciate you getting back to me. And I was going through some posts you'd made on Instagram. I I scrolled through there a lot, and I found one from September 24, 2018, and you posted, Rhino's success is finding an opportunity, charging with relentless purpose, and developing the thickest skin possible to survive the trials and tribulations along the way. 
And I think that embodies the empathy, faith, and character that you bring to the industry and that you bring to the to the people that get to meet you and are fortunate enough to get to hear you speak. And uh, I just want to, you know, thank you for continuing to embody that. And uh, man, I, I cannot wait to wait to watch your success for for the future and uh, watch you grow. And uh, hey, I hope we can get you back on. I know we, I know I'm gonna be bothering you sooner or later, uh, and uh, finding out when we can do it again because uh, you, your wealth of knowledge and and I can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate it, guys. This is a this is a compliment for you guys to reach out to me, and and um, it means a ton. I love. I love sharing this stuff with anybody who's willing to listen. So um, I love what you guys are doing. You know, podcast is a, a new thing for the past four or five years. And I think it's wonderful that you guys are taking the time out of your day to do this and, and open up and let, you know, your listeners and the general public listen into these stories. Uh, I wish I would have had this, you know, a long time ago. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's, it's not easy and it's a lot of work, but nothing worth doing is easy. Hey, me you know, that's right. You know, and that's one thing I think we got to remember sometimes is anything worth doing, it's not easy. And I wish everybody this their good ventures and and hunting luck, whatever it may be, or whatever ventures you have coming up in your in your life, whether it's hunting, fishing, or just getting in the outdoors or camping. I don't care, but you know what? Uh, Mother Nature's got a beautiful place out there, and we all should get out there more often and enjoy it because it's amazing. As I, I think I was telling you, Alex, I think the hunter. Hunters, outdoorsmen see more sunrise and sunsets than anybody I know. And we don't see enough of them. Amen. Uh, a blessed bunch we are. We are. We're all, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, we're all in the same family. And, and people separate us on the on the news all the time. Yeah, they separate us it. in everything we do in the yep. news and in social media, and we continue to grow from that. And, and I think we as, we as hunters can grow more from it than anybody. And uh, like I said, Greg, I, I thank you for your time, and uh, I can't wait to speak with you speak with you soon and uh definitely be uh be much in thought and prayer for uh for any family struggles you got going on with your dad and uh and for your son's health to get back to normal and hey y'all get out there and y'all get with him again i want to see a let's see a 250 hit the ground you gotta hit a 240 let's see a 250 hit the ground now well you're not the only one who's let me tell you let me let me burn a 180 this year that's what i'm hoping for let me get that 180 under my belt so, but uh, like oh. I said, it, it was been an honor and a privilege, and uh, I'll definitely be talking to you soon. And uh, it, it's been been fun, man. I appreciate, it, guys. Thanks for reaching out. Right, Pleasure talk, of mine. Talk soon, Greg. Take care. All right, bye. All right, everybody. Greg Glessinger, Drury Outdoors. Man, Why are you, you smiling you so much, dude? Alan? Dude, I can't <laughs> stop smiling. I mean, to cat. to have uh, you know somebody that you that you watch and uh, you see them on TV and you get a. a I guess a preconceived notion of what kind of person they're going to be and watching him and his humble approach and the way he delivers himself on camera. It's exactly what I talked to and, and off the mic yesterday, I had a 35 minute conversation with him and it could have been a great podcast. I mean, it could have went through the whole, you know, we could have talked about anything under the sun with him and he told the exact same story every single time he brings it and he brings the same passion to it. And it's just, I mean, it's very it's it's cool to me, and that's you know, like you said, cold chills. Oh, I got them, <laughs> yeah. dude. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine just walking up to your old pickup truck, leaning over the back, the deer sticking up above it? Mark Jerry runs up back of you. <laughs> Good job, man. Good job, just man. Pat you on the back. I mean, and 
you know, we didn't even get into some of the stuff that I wanted to ask him about. I mean, there's there's a laundry list of things that I want to hear about the way he hunts his pressure, the winds, you know, what's deer cast doing for him. You know, there's all kinds of stuff there, and hopefully we can go into the future and get more of those episodes with him because it's – I don't know how – Oh, we will. You can just tell by – you can tell he was excited just as much as we were to, to share his knowledge. Well, that's, yeah. what he, that's what he said, that the day that he killed was the first day he had ever hunted that deer. He, that's how first patient. day he had went in, yeah. Went in, went in Wonder how many nights he laid there and looked at those trail cam pictures or days. And probably had Maybe. some daytime pictures, but he just Maybe. knew oh, man, in patience. Uh, just, yeah. Oh, that's a West wind. I believe we can get – no, no, no. How many guys would have ruined the potential to kill that deer? Me. One. Everybody <laughs> at this table. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, no, no doubt yeah, in my mind, absolutely. I would have been in there day one, wind be damned. I would have been hunting. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go in here and hunt him. Oh, I'll blow him out. I'll never see that deer again. And and I, I think that speaks well for the volume mm-hmm. of patience that he's got. He's, hey, you get to that level, you're a different caliber of hunter. I mean, it just, it. it's just different. And, uh, you know, hey, what can you say? All around great guy. And I'm glad he came absolutely. on the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the uh, opportunity to get to speak with him. So, what else you got, Nick? Anything uh, exciting you want to announce that uh, is going to drop in podcast land? No. 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 Nothing. Podcast land. Hopefully a turkey. Mm. This episode will drop next, let's see, be next week, be Monday. What? Don't even week. say a day. <laughs> I don't want to say a day. Don't say a day. No <laughs> days, no numbers. It might drop Wednesday. Alex may, may drop on. it on a Sunday, <laughs> may drop it on the next Saturday. You don't. Hey, you know, can only, uh, you want to run this computer? It, no, I didn't say that. I was oh. going to say it depends on what Wi-Fi is picking up. So No kidding. You got to pop it in most of the time. So I'm going to plug this. Go check out our YouTube stuff. There you go. Go over and hit some likes, subscribe. Me and Nick, we're trying over there. At Talk About It Outdoors on YouTube. Yes. They're not all successes. There are some successes on there, in it, but it's some It good, ain't from me. It's some good times. <laughs> For sure. Oh, you didn't kill one opening weekend? Oh, I guess that you video in on there? Yeah, that one. One out of nine. Is that how many film hunts you filmed? Yeah, I started putting two you know together. No, it, doesn't, got- it doesn't matter about the success of it. I think the success of it is you just continually showing how much you're enjoying it. You know, that's that's what's cool to me. Just like with you and Blaine when y'all was sitting there talking the other day, or you and Clayton. And Clayton's getting a little more comfortable on that camera. He used to take that mask off. Quit talking. He just sits there with that mask on the whole time. <laughs> Because we were kind of still hunting, but I just happened to pull mine down. Oh. I had a little bit more cover where I was at. Oh. Shout out to two brothers. Oh golly, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a I made a another video that I didn't plug in. I know we're wasting time here. Man, if y'all go to two brothers, man, don't get that small thing of Brunswick. Do you get the big one? Golly, that small wasn't enough. <laughs> you can take it home if you don't eat it. But we've been rambling long enough, Alex. You got anything? Close it drop, out, Alex. <laughs> He's still smiling from the episode. Well. I don't have anything else. He's rubbed the blue off his jeans. (laughs) (laughs) Blue jeans, baby. Uh, I don't have anything that, you know. What are you going to do, exciting? I'll probably continue to build on that deck. Trim my bushes so you can see that big old deck. We're finished for the night. For everybody over at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to continue to ask you to go over to all our social media content. Follow us there. You can find Greg Glessinger at Drury Outdoors on all the Instagrams, Facebooks. You can follow him along there. You can see the amazing deer he's put on the ground. You'll see some new stuff coming out for us very soon. Continue to check out what we got going on with the KT team. Uh, that's winding down in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to be getting an opportunity to go see those guys. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, I want to thank you for your time pulling up a chair and sitting and listening with us. And I want to remind you, smile as you go, and don't forget to mount the memories.